0: Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. How's it going this morning? (laughs) Hey, already this morning, don't you feel God's presence in this room today? I do. I I think we just celebrate that today. God, thank you. Thank you for your presence. I was reminded this morning in my prayer time, the Lord said, Sean, don't ever forget you host my presence, that the Spirit of God is in you, and every time you sing and declare, we're just giving back praise, and I just love the declarations we've made today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, and I could just stop right there. I could just drop the mic and walk off today and just be good, amen? And uh, I'm just so glad you're here. I wanna welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. Would you guys celebrate that and give each other a huge round of applause this morning? Thank you for joining us. We're in a series called Rise Up. And some of you say, wow, we're preaching about the Atlanta Falcons. No, we're not. Okay. Uh, They're going to have another chance to rise up come September. Uh, But we are rising up. God is doing some new things in us. God is changing some things in us. And he's helping us understand through the book of Nehemiah how we have a destiny, right? We have a destiny God wants to take us somewhere and the place he wants to take us is good and it's plentiful and it's large and and sometimes we live in this world where we've been taught to think man God just God just done with me <laughs> no God's not done with you God has a destiny for you and that's kind of what we've been waking up to so last week we talked about this idea of staying up right stay up and I don't mean stay up at night cuz some of you have a baby that stays up at night and you're praying dear Jesus let that baby sleep, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about being in the right position and staying on the wall. And when we stay on the wall, we can stay up and, and we can be all that God wants us to be because we know that it's God's will that we rise up. And so we said this, we got to pray and watch. We got to pray and watch. Prayer keeps us in the right position of God's presence. Prayer always keeps us in God's presence. It's saying, God, I need you. And the only way I can do this is through you. And that's an amazing thing. And then we got to station ourselves in the gap because the access that we give to the enemy is only where the gaps exist, right? We talked about all these different things. We talked about staying armored up. We got to stay suited up if we're going to win the battle. And then the other part we talked about is how in chapter five, they became generous. When things became difficult, the way that they released what God wanted to see happen in finishing the wall was the people said, we will give it back. And so the people became generous. And I love that point in the story. But today, as we move on in this journey, we're going to realize that the real work just began. You know, I said this all along and I say it every week. The building of the wall was just a motif of what God wanted to do in his people. And the same is true for us, right? In, in our life, the places that we live in, there's always a bigger story to what's happening in our life. How many of you have ever been in a car accident before and God did something through that car accident? Raise your hand. Yeah. I remember one time we got rear-ended on I-35 in Austin, Texas, and God gave us a brand new car out of it. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I didn't even know I needed a new car. But they totaled our car and it was worth more than, you know, whatever. And we ended up getting a whole new car out of it. I was like, this is crazy, Sometimes the things that we go through in life are really not about the circumstance we're facing. It's about the bigger picture God is trying to paint. And in the life of Nehemiah, it's the same way. God's trying to paint a bigger picture for his people. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Nehemiah, chapter 8. And as you're turning over there, I want to talk about the topic in today's part of the series. I want to talk about the idea of we've moved. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, we've moved. All right, some of you say, you need to move. (laughs) You're in my personal space, right? But how many of you guys have ever moved across the country before in your life? Raise your hand, both campuses. Yeah, you've moved across the country. How many of you have moved within the same city before a couple times, right? I mean, that itself is frustrating. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But isn't it funny that when you've moved, you start operating in a new reality, right? When you've moved somewhere new, The things that used to be normal are no longer normal. They become abnormal. Once you get to a new destination, you realize there's new things and there's new opportunities. And and some of us thrive in that. Like, I don't know about you, I kind of have this spirit of discovery about me. My wife and son and I, we drove the other day and drove way up North Atlanta and went to a restaurant we never went to before that someone told us was great. And and we kind of went, hey, this is good. But the thrill was about the discovery. Because we were experiencing something new. And then some of us in in, in this room here, we struggle with things that are new, right? Like if someone moves something in the refrigerator, we have to be delivered for that, right? Like, who moved my cheese? You know, there's a lot of us that, that maybe we struggle in that, but this idea that when you move, everything becomes new. You start operating in a whole new reality. But I wanna say this. There's something about when you move in somewhere that's really cool. And here's what's neat. You operate in a new house, within a new city, within a new community. You start experiencing all these new things. I I know this sounds weird to me because I'm just kind of at this stage of life. When we moved here six years ago, my first thought is, Lord, I need a new chiropractor. And so I prayed, Lord, would you lead me to the right chiropractor? And then the second thing I prayed for is, Lord, we need a new cleaners. Because cleaners are big and important, right? And then I said, and Lord, where's the nearest Starbucks? And and so you start thinking about all these things because once you've moved in, everything becomes new. New job, new surroundings, new relationships. And what happens is sometimes, sometimes we've lived somewhere and stayed somewhere so long that it's hard for us to embrace new places and new things in our life. How many of you love to try new things? You just, I love it, right? Someone can hand you a piece of food and you're like, hey, that was good. What was that? That was dog food, (laughs) right? Some of us just love trying new things. And you say, well, that's more about a personality. Well, it is, but it's not. Because when you've moved, your reality changes. It's kind of like this. How many of you guys have ever gotten one of these cards in the mail? The we've moved card from your friends. Right, They send it to you and they say, hey, you have a brand new address. And they put the address and usually they put a picture of their new house. And and, and we do this within town too. Sometimes you move from house to house and you're like, hey, we've moved. And, and you want everyone to understand, I am no longer back in that place. I am in a new place. And then the most frustrating part, I don't know about you, I, we moved a couple years ago into a new home here in, in the Noonan area. And we moved literally two miles But here's what happened. Within the three years I lived in the other house, I had roots to get where I wanted to go, the way I wanted to get there, and suddenly everything was in disarray. You know what I'm saying? I used to drive a certain way to the church every day. I used to drive a certain way to the store every day. And then I did the thing that you guys will do. I start driving the old roots, right? Oh, this is the way we used to go. Oh, this is the way we used to get here. And then you realize after you've lived in this new place, you don't go those old places anymore. Why? Because you've moved. The people of God had finished a wall. In chapter seven, it tells us that they began to regather to the place of Jerusalem because people were moving in. And as people were moving back from exile and the wall was completed, as they started moving into this new place, the wall was done, but the work of God and his people had just started. Chapter seven, we read that family by family, tribe by tribe, people by people start moving back in. And we realized real quick that it's one thing for God's people to respond to the building of a physical wall. But what God wanted to do is establish his people in a place. See, I want to say that to you today. That, that that's, ought to encourage you in your life. God has a place for you. You say, yeah, God wants to put me in my place. No, he doesn't. God wants to show you, you have a place. In fact, in Nehemiah, he cares more about his people getting back to being established in the place that he has for them than he does their physical location. It's never been about a physical location. See, the temple had been rebuilt. Worship had been reestablished even long before the wall had been completed. But the people were feeling displaced. Have you ever been somewhere and then you didn't go there for two or three years and you came back and you didn't know where your place was? I remember I would go home from school in third grade. And, and by the way, I know this is a weird fact about me. I had three years perfect attendance in school, three years. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Neither tardy nor absent for three years. I got a trophy at the end of all those three years. They gave it out at the, the school award. But, but, but here's, here's one of the reasons why I hated to miss school even when I was sick. Because when I came back, I didn't know where my place was. Everyone had read ahead of me. Everyone had solved problems ahead of me. And you know what? The same is true in our lives. Sometimes when we, when we feel pulled away because of life and struggles and challenges, we come back into the moment and we don't know where our place is. And what God's trying to say to his people is, listen, you don't have to live displaced. So what did Nehemiah do? Chapter eight, he calls the people together to make an announcement to them that was very important. And here's what he said. We've moved. We've moved. We're no longer exiles. We're no longer on the outside. We're no longer a people of no placement. We have moved. And we've moved into a new place. And what I wanna do is I wanna show you Nehemiah said, what God says our place is. Because in every new place, there is a new reality. There is a new opportunity. There is new allotment. There is a new place that God says is ours. And here's why I know this is true, because God always wants to restore his people, God always wants to restore people. You know, I, I hear people say sometimes, well, does God wanna restore a mass murderer? Absolutely. Does God wanna restore a tax evader? Yeah, absolutely. And God wants to restore the person who for some reason in their life has never understood the place that God has established them in. We've moved. He calls them together, he says, we've moved because God always wants to restore his people. Look at verse one of Nehemiah chapter eight. Let's read the word to God. It says, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now, who was Ezra? Ezra was a scribe and a priest who had arrived before Nehemiah to help rebuild the temple and reestablish the worship of God's people. So he'd been there a little bit before Nehemiah, but all of a sudden these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah collide because Ezra comes on the scene and he's the person and the people come to him and they say, hey, we want you to read the book of the law of Moses to us, which I find really awesome. What is the book of the law of Moses? It's the Torah. It has been the five five first books of the Bible. And so he would have said, I want you to read this law to us. Look at verse two. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, all who were able to understand. Now we don't understand the purpose of the, why he wants us to know the first day of the seventh month, but we got to know this. The first day of the seventh month was their new year. It was New Year's Day. What do we do on New Year's Day? We black eyed peas, Right? What else do we do? We watch football. Can I get an amen? (laughs) It was the first day. And on New Year's Day, this is when this happened because it was a time of new beginnings. And there were three or four festivals that happened during that time. The first happens on the first day and it's called the Feast of Trumpets. Then there was the Day of Atonement on the 10th day. And then there was the Feast of Tabernacles on the 15th through the 21st day. So let me just say this, within the first 21 days of the new year, there was a lot of celebrating that was supposed to go on because they'd moved. What does that tell me? God loves new beginnings. Did you know that? God loves new beginnings. God loves new beginnings in your life and he loves new beginnings in my life. He is all about those moments where whether you ever move your address or change a location, God just looks at you and he says, hey, I want to reset you and I want you to just have this new beginning in your life and I want you to see it. And so in this moment, he calls him out on this day. And look at verse three, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high platform built for the occasion. The Bible tells us he had 13 men around him as he stood on, I'd call it the first podium. He's standing on the first podium and he's facing the water gate. How long was this? It says that he stood there from daybreak till noon. That would have been about five or six hours. So I'm just thinking, maybe we should extend our services here at Southcrest that we could start at six and end at noon and then start again at two and end at eight. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> I just think that's incredible because here's what they were saying. They were such in awe of God's word that they just stood there Why did he face the water gate? You see, God's word always represents water. Why? Because it cleanses and it restores us. And so he stood towards the water gate and he read and they sat there for five or six hours. And look at verse five. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it. Then all the people stood up. They just stood up. I think that's a cool moment because in our culture, there's this little controversy on what should you stand for and what should you sit for and what should you kneel for? But in this moment, the moment they heard what they believed to be God's word, they stood up. Why? Because they were moved. They were moved by it. And then look at verse six, Ezra, praised the Lord, the great God, And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know what they were doing? They were agreeing with what God said about them. They were agreeing to God's word. And I love how it says it. It says, they said, when they heard the word of God, they lifted up to their feet and they began to raise their hands and they were like, amen, amen. And so I want to explain to you the word amen real quick because some of us may not know it. You said, that was the old guy who went to my country church growing up who just couldn't keep quiet during the sermon. And when the pastor would say something cool, he'd be like, amen. <laughs> but you know what that word means? It means so be it. When I hear something cool, sometimes I go, truth. That's what it means. Truth. Everyone say truth. Truth. Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl next year. (laughs) Did you hear that spark in my microphone when I said that? (laughs) I feel like a false prophet at this moment. (laughs) Here's the best part. When you hear something and you know it's true, truth. Hey, if you think your wife is smoking hot and she's the best woman on the world, say truth. So, truth. You better say it. <laughs> Women, you owe me one. <laughs> when we agree with something, we say, so be it. So be it. Truth. Truth. <laughs> They heard the word of God and they began to agree to it. And they were like, so be it, so be it. And then they got on their face and began worshiping, which tells me something. When we agree with what God says, you know what happens? We get our all back. They were in awe. Remember the day you met Jesus and you were just in amazing awe of his grace and of his power to forgive. And you wanted to go out singing and you wanted to tell everybody and you're like, man, I just met Jesus and Jesus changed my life and 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 you were just in awe. And then something happens to us over time, we allow the problems of this world to kind of steal our awe. But what brings that awe back is when we start to agree with what God's word says. <laughs> when we agree with what God says, we get our awe back. So I'm going to say this very Southern to y'all today. We need our all back, y'all. Right? The church needs its all back. I mean, why do we walk around like somehow this economy that we're in is bigger than the Jesus that came out of the grave? Why? Why do we think somehow that our team losing on a Saturday defines our identity for the rest of the year? They heard the word of God and they said, truth, so be it. Oh, they got on their face and they worshiped. Verse seven, the Levites, and he lists their names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. And they read the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving them the meaning so that the people could understood what was being read. That's what I love. You know who the Levites were? They were the teachers that taught for the priests. They were like the understudies of the priest. They were a certain people, but they were literally the ones who ran the operations of the temple. And so these Levites, these 13 guys mentioned in there, and if you can say all their names correctly, phonetically, I'll give you $5, okay? But he begins to say, they went out and they taught and they explained what God's word meant. And they explained what the law meant, which tells me something. They weren't teaching for information, they were teaching for transformation, I want you to get this. I started thinking about this sometimes in our life, that sometimes we crave spiritual information, which is just head knowledge, without revelation, which is a personal encounter with Jesus. And if we do that, eventually we create an atmosphere for offense to occur. You know why? Because we don't have the ability to live it out. And God says, I want my people to live it out. So look at verse nine. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, Who were instructing the people said to them, All, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of God. You know what Nehemiah did? He saw their response. And this was their response. Ezra's got his hands up, people are standing up, they're hearing the word of God, and you say, Yes, they should feel horrible for all the ways they walked away from God all those years. They should feel horrible for letting the temple be destroyed. (laughs) Nehemiah walks in and he sees their response and he goes, whoa, wait a minute. That was the old place you lived in. We've moved. We don't live in that fear anymore. He comes in and he says, Hey, this day is holy for our God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listen. Here's what happened they went back to what they knew, which was what? Condemnation. Here's what they were saying We should have done better. <laughs> Man, we blew it again. I should have been a better Christian. I should have done this. And, God, and, and, and God's looking through Nehemiah and he's like, no, 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 cut that off, Nehemiah, because here's the thing. Instead of operating in this new reality of this new place, they begin to go back to their old reality of an old place called condemnation. And look what happens in verse 10. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy. To our Lord. Do not grieve. I love this phrase. Do not grieve. Everyone say, don't grieve. Everyone say, quit crying. (laughs) He said, quit crying, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, you got a new address. Because we've moved, don't you go back to the way it was before. He says, the joy of the Lord's your strength. Verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this day is holy, do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Let me tell you what Nehemiah did He redirected them back to the place that they had moved to. I just have this feeling in that moment of verse 10, 11, and 12 when he says, they went and they took the food and they celebrated with great joy. I just have this sound going off in my mind and it sounds like cool in the gang. Celebrate good times, come on. Okay, (laughs) that's what hits me. I'm sorry, I just gotta say it. But here's the thing, they were celebrating because they finally realized we've moved. You see, when you've moved, you start operating in your new reality, in a new identity. We did a whole series on grace. If you weren't here for that series, go back and watch it. But this idea that we have this new grace identity and because I have a new identity, I have a new address. We've moved. We're not going back to those things that we were before. And I wanna say this today. What was true for the Jews returning is true for you and I today. Because of Jesus Christ, we've moved. Because of Jesus coming out of a grave victorious, we've moved. Because of what Jesus did to not only pay for my sin, but when he came alive, he ascended to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come and live in me. And now I got a whole new identity, but I got a whole new address. I know my place. I know where I belong. I don't have to walk around looking to you saying, where is my place? And you looking back to me saying, I'll put you in your place. I have a place and I've moved. I just, that just, that fires me up. You see, he established a place for us and he wants us to see what's possible in our new place. And here's why you and I can rise up today. If you have a pen, don't, don't miss this. I want you to write this down. Here's why you and I can rise up. Number one, we've moved into agreement with God's word. We've moved into agreement with God's word. You say, Show me that. Like, well, let me be very clear to you. The Bible says in John 1 that the word was with God, and his name was who? Jesus. Jesus is the word. The day that you and I began to give our life to Jesus, and follow him and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you and I wanna surrender my life to you, we begin agreeing with God's word, but it doesn't stop there because we begin to operate by God, what God's word says and not what our circumstances say. Man, I'm so thankful in my life. God's teaching me, Sean, don't operate by what your circumstances say. If you look at the view of your problems, suddenly your problems become way bigger than your God. And then you got problems bigger than your problems. Because if you don't see God for who he is, you'll never understand your problems the way God does. We have moved into agreement with God's word. I want to show you that real practically real quick. Look at John 10, verse 10. A lot of times we read a scripture and we look at it through the filter of our old location. This is where I used to live. And so we focus many times on the part of it that we don't understand is not really the heart of the passage. Jesus in John 10, 10 says these words, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And we quote that a lot and we go, man, I've been stolen from today. Man, I've been thieved today. Man, I've been destroyed today. And we focus on that and we get so jacked up about that and then suddenly we build a campaign to try to take off the devil with a water pistol and we're like, I'm gonna kill the thief, stealer and destroyer. And we forget what Jesus said in the last part of that word. Jesus said, that's what the enemy came to do. Now I wanna tell you what I came to do and I want you to agree with it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Oh, it gets good. But I have come. Jesus, calling his followers out, he says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said these words. I have come to bring you fullness so that you can stop operating in brokenness. Some of you go, is that really possible? Oh, yeah, it is. Remember, God said, I wanna show you your new place because I wanna show you what's possible. Jesus said, I'm gonna show you what's possible. Jesus came to show us what's possible. And he comes on the scene and he says, but I have come to give you life and give it to fullness. Let me tell you something. Don't operate according to your circumstances. Start operating in agreement with what God's word says. I tell you, man, that's why when I started giving and tithing to the Lord, I, I, didn't quit, I, didn't, I quit looking at my bank book and started looking at this book and I started realizing that everything God had said in here was true and sometimes my bank is wrong. <laughs> sometimes my bank says I don't have enough to give and God says, oh, yes, you do because I'm your supply. You just do it. Watch what I do. So we come into agreement. We've moved into agreement. Number two, we've moved into conviction and out of condemnation. I love this. We've moved into conviction and out of condemnation. Now, let me ask you a question. Where did the word conviction get a bad word in our culture? Probably through trials, right? Like we've watched trials on TV. Like some of us watched the OJ trial. And we're like, was he guilty? Was he innocent? All I know is he got convicted. And you hear like conviction, conviction. But you know what the word conviction really means? It means something that I become convinced of. Something that I become. So this idea of conviction is not bad. And God says we've moved out of conviction, or excuse me, moved into conviction and out of condemnation. So if you have a pen, write this down. Conviction leads to a change in our thinking, which is repentance, that produces joy, praise, and celebration. So let me say it this way. Let me tell you how I know when I am living in conviction, when I see joy, praise, and celebration because I'm becoming more convinced of who God is. I love conviction. I have a conviction that my college football team is gonna win the national championship next year. And so do you. See, you have conviction. You just don't understand that the enemy tries to confuse conviction with condemnation. We've moved into conviction and out of condemnation. Condemnation leads to grief, mourning, and lowliness. This idea that I have this weight on me that I can't bear. And if you remember what he told the people, he says, don't you, don't you cry, don't you grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've moved into agreement with God's word but we've moved into conviction and out of condemnation. And so here's what I think about this in my own life. When I feel condemned, it's evidence that the enemy or a circumstance is trying to move me out of the place God has for me. Wow. That was a game changer for me. The truth is I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I am established. I know my place. And if I know my place, you know what else that means? I can't ever be offended by you because you can't ever put me in my place. (laughs) Jesus put me there. We've moved. We've moved. Man. Somebody ought to just say truth. So be it. You agree with that? Say, so be it. Truth. (laughs) Nehemiah said, don't grieve. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Paul, he dealt with this when he said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body in Romans six. And then he goes over to Romans eight and he makes this declaration. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And many times we read that verse and we go, oh, that's a good suggestion. Because many of us spend our life operating in a place called condemnation and God says, I brought you to a place of conviction. I want you to be convinced of who I say you are and what you can do and what's possible in your life and you don't have to live condemned anymore. So Paul says this, therefore there is no condemnation. So that means that we can't operate this way. There's a itty, itty bit of condemnation. He didn't say that. He didn't say, there's three inches of condemnation. He didn't say, there's two feet of condemnation you gotta deal with before you get to conviction. He said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I'm agreeing with that. That's just that. I'm just agreeing with it. That's why later on in Romans 8, he could say these words. He said, for I am convinced I am convicted, right? Romans 8, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Paul knew what it meant to move out of condemnation. He was a Christian killer into conviction. He had been changed by Jesus. And he said, I've moved. For I'm convinced that nothing can separate me from God's love. And let me say this before we close today. The enemy knows when we become convinced of what God says about you and I is true, He knows that it's game over. He knows. That's why we fight this battle so much. The battle is 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 in our hearts and our heads. It's really not out here. With the people that we feel opposition from or the obstacles we face, it's coming to this agreement that says, I've moved. I've moved into agreement with what God's word says. I've moved out of this place called condemnation. I'm now living in conviction. And that the moment that I start saying, God, what you say about me is true, and where you say I live is true, and I don't have to find my place because you are my place, and I'm forever established in that, the enemy's like, I'm done. I'm done. Look at verse 17 and we'll close. I love the the reality of what happened in this moment because when they got to this place, began operating in a new reality, look at what happened in verse 17. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. And from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was, was very great think about it God says you're gonna party better than it's 1999 (laughs) when you start operating in the reality of the new place that God has said you're in there's always celebration when you get to the destination isn't there kids get out of the car we're here get in the pool we're here you go ah God's got you on a destination towards the destiny he has for you. The good news today is he just wants you to know in Jesus, you've moved. You've moved. All things are possible. God can do anything. We've moved into agreement with his word. We've moved into conviction and we have moved. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.